Good morning, everybody. Are you ready to just sit in the presence of God today? We're going to have a great day this morning. Come on, stand on your feet. Let's just lift up our hands. Let's just begin to worship God. He's a great God. There's no God like our God. There's no God like our Jehovah. Hey!
Oh, hallelujah. Everybody said praise the Lord. Amen. Let's give it up for this worship team. Haven't they done an amazing job all week leading us into the presence of God? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We are so um, excited this morning to have this opportunity uh, to sit down with some amazing leaders, pastors, and uh, even Bishop Woodward, and to just talk about some of the things that we've heard preached and how to apply them to our lives. You know, one of the amazing things about the Word of God is the application process of it. Uh, you can read a history book, you can read a science book, and it's uh, educational, but the thing that's so life-changing about biblical principles is the application process. And we want to uh, try to apply some of the things that we have been, um, you know, just really uh, marinating in in our spirits and in our hearts and minds uh, throughout the course of uh, this week at WINS Conference. And um, even some of the things that are current uh, in, uh, in our lives as, as Christians and uh, as ministers and millennials. So we're going to invite our panel to come up, and uh, we're going to get started this morning with our panel discussion. Amen. We are so happy to have Pastor Joel Urshan, who pastors the Tree of Life Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, is a preacher of preachers. He's a, he's a preacher's preacher. We, we, uh, we have our favorites. We love Brother Urshan. And uh, we are so happy to be joined uh, today by Pastor Danny Hood, who pastors the great landmark church in Denver, Colorado. It's an amazing church. And uh, Brother Danny Hood has been an evangelist in the United Pentecostal Church and uh, has an amazing family. That was his son, Corbin, that was up here prophesying last night. And uh, he is a, a great leader in our movement. We're so glad that you're here, Brotherhood. Thank you for being a part of this panel discussion today. And, uh, and Bishop Raymond Woodward. My goodness. I mean, what can you... Just an amazing leader in the United Pentecostal Church. Serves in a, a number of positions. Of course, is bishop there at uh, Capital Community Church in New Brunswick. We're so happy to have you with us, Bishop uh, Woodward. Thank you for being here. And, uh, we want to uh, sort of dive into this subject today about how do we ensure that we have safe church in the 21st century. Um, and I, I'd like to just sort of get into this subject today. And I know there's a lot of different ways that we can unpack this. But um, I'd like to start by, you know, some of the things that we've heard preached this week is, is uh, how we're going to be uh, looking to the harvest in a different way. Uh, reaching for people regardless of what environment, uh, what status of life. Uh, Brother uh, Urshan, you preached a great message about being blessed in the borderlands. And uh, Brother Woodward, you preached that great message about the revival in Samaria. And there seemed to be a theme uh, throughout this week about really reaching into areas uh, and winning people and not just being in our, our, our sort of enclaves and being con confined to our own building, but really reaching beyond uh, our churches and into our communities. So uh, let's just start with this question today, and I'll give each of you a chance to answer. But how do we ensure that our churches are a safe place for people 
to bring guests. They know they can bring a guest uh, to their church and they're not going to be embarrassed and their guest is going to be uh, encouraged and they'll be able to um, use that as a witness going forward. How do we ensure as, as pastors and leaders that our churches are a safe environment for people to invite guests? We'll start with you, brothers. I think that's a great question, Pastor Myers. And, um, and I, I, it's important that we, that we come to a, a resolution in ourselves about it. Uh, because the reality is our guests are coming to church and they, when they arrive, they're going to be either uh, first-time guests that really know nothing of Jesus. More likely, they're going to have a preconception. And uh, they're going to have some ideas maybe even experiences with God that are important to them and, and, and have been uh, foundational in their life up to that point. Uh, or they may be learning of him for the very first time. And so I think we have to treat <clears throat> every situation as if we're telling the story for the first time. Not assuming that anybody knows what we're talking about, but, but sharing, it, uh, sharing it afresh. And um, going, taking the time to establish the details of what we're describing and, and just simply preaching Jesus. There, there's just, that's where the power is. And, um, and when we're just preaching Jesus, so much gets accomplished. Um, if you look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, he preached Jesus. Peter on the day of Pentecost, he preached Jesus. At Cornelius' house, he preached Jesus. Paul to the disciples of John at Ephesus, he preached Jesus. That's where the power is. And that's the unifying factor. And it's not just from the pulpit that we preach Jesus, but we're, we're preaching Jesus in the parking lot when people arrive, when we're opening the door, we're, it, it, we're exhibiting Jesus, we're demonstrating Jesus. Uh, Paul said this. He said that if I preach circumcision, then is the offense of the cross ceased. So he establishes that there is an offensiveness to the cross. It is inherent in the cross that there is an offense. And, and everything about the preaching of the cross is going to offend. It's going to offend uh, what you do that's wrong. It's going to offend even what you've done that you think is right. It's going to offend the sin in your life. Uh, it's going to offend so much. Let's let the preaching of the cross and the cross itself, let's let that be the only thing that's offensive. Nothing else needs to be offensive. That's offensive in and of itself. The, the fact that, that God is requiring a change of who we are and we see the person that we are to be in Jesus Christ. That's a beautiful message, especially to those of us on this side of it. But to a person who's never experienced that, it, it calls them to a place of repentance. That is an offense in itself. Everything else that they experience should be just an overflow of love and welcome and greeting and, and uh, receiving them uh, into this place that we are so thankful to have them a part of, preaching Jesus and letting him be the light of the world. Amen. That's excellent, Pastor Hirsch. Pastor Hood? Oh. I would say, save them from an aggressive evangelist like I was. <laughs> um, I, I heard a story about 30 years ago. I was preaching in a place, 
in uh, Austin, Texas. And it was one of those fiery evangelistic services. And I was probably one of those evangelists doing the countdown. Ten. <laughs> Do you believe this truth? Nine. <laughs> Night is coming. Eight. <laughs> Better hurry up and get to be apostolic. And hopefully by the time you got to one, they's in the altar. But but it was one of those services. People were coming to the altar. And uh, back then I had my Ph.D., which was poofed hair destroyer. <laughs> my wife would... She tried to say, you, you don't think you could just slide your hand across the forehead up here? You know, I was one of those that felt like we got to come in on the top here. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a gentleman in the altar. He was, he was seeking the Lord. And I, I was praying for different ones. And I went, and, of course, I, I did the chiropractic move. I put my hand on his head, and I snapped that neck back. <clears throat> Gave him his proper adjustment and then started praying for him to get the Holy Ghost. <laughs> and he, he said... Or I said, that's it, that's it, you're going to get it, going to get it. Well, he reached up and grabbed my hand and threw it off his head. And he said, I am not. And when Brother Urson was mentioning about the parking lot, this is what brought this to my mind. Because he stormed out of the church. Well, I could have had the behavior of, well, you know what, he just doesn't want it. He's, you know. Bless God, that sinner, he's going to be lost. But I chased him out to the parking lot, and I caught him just before he got in his car, and I had tears in my eyes, and I just said, look, sir, I'm sorry. I was just a little overzealous, and, uh, and I don't know what all I said, but I was very apologetic. <clears throat> and that was it. I left. Didn't know anything about it. In 2016, so this is some 26 years later, 24 years later, I'm at general conference and this young man walks up to me and he said, Hey, do you remember in 1992 when you were preaching in Austin, Texas? And when he started describing the scene, I said, I'll never forget it. I was so embarrassed. And he said, well, I want you to know that because of what you did walking out to the parking lot, he said, my dad, whose marriage at the time was, was in trouble. He said he came back the next week, and he got the Holy Ghost. He said, I'm his son, and I'm an evangelist wow. in, this, in this organization. Wow. So I think sometimes the safe church is when we realize that maybe we've been a little too aggressive. We probably all have them. We have that altar counselor, you know, that's, that drank three Red Bulls before they showed up. <laughs> And, and so can be very zealous and very aggressive. And I've even seen it in our altar. I've seen it where folks come down, they're so desperate, but they don't know anything about this Pentecostal culture. They don't know anything about how we pray. And, and so sometimes our approach can be, can be quite aggressive. And, and so we've had to implement at times that discernment, chase them to the parking lot. Even if they leave, if, they, if it seems like maybe we didn't communicate who we are in a kinder, gentler way, then, and I also believe we can preach conviction. I mean, I love to preach about the coming of the Lord. I love to preach about hellfire and brimstone still. But I think that probably what I've learned a little differently now in my 50s, what I might not have done in my 20s, is at least give them a little thread of hope toward the end of the message so that they realize, as he mentioned, when they get to the altar, we want them to feel hope. 
And, and so, and we have in a revival, we had probably during the pandemic close to 150 to 200 baptized. And most of them came from that broken off the streets, the tattoos, the drugs. And, and I think just being in an altar where they could feel the presence of God and know there was hope because this is a generation, such a nihilistic generation with such Gothic hell bent in, intentions and throw caution to the wind that they don't, they don't feel like they have any hope. That's probably one of the simplest things I feel like we can do from the pulpit to how that we handle our altars, how we handle even if they don't come down to the front, how do we handle them from the par- parking lot uh, to the altar. Beautiful. Brother Woodward, give us some wisdom on this. I just need enough wisdom to know how to turn on this mic. <laughs> I agree a thousand percent with everything that has been said. Uh, so let me dig just underneath for a root cause, because these men have, have told us what we need to know and how we need to do this. I think the root cause of all of this, when we are offensive, it's because we lapse into trying to crank on the Pentecostals that are already there. Nobody in this generation of all kinds of spiritual experience, all kinds of weird stuff going on, new age, and and they're exposed to so much stuff. Whether it's real or fake is a matter of debate, but they're exposed to it. Um, I, I don't think that we get many people in our churches anymore that are like genuinely terrified of what's going on. I mean, they've been to a football game. It's worse. They've watched movies. It's far worse. You know, they, they've seen caricatures of us. Uh, there are all kinds of Pentecostal type things on YouTube. But I think where we, we mess them up is when we are constantly trying to get a response out of deadhead Pentecostals. And so we're preaching in ways that are so aggressive and so harsh and we're just trying to get a rise out of the Pentecostals. And so I've, I've talked to our younger men at home and said, you know, I have confidence in that word. And if the word is preached and if Jesus is exalted, the word's going to blow up at some point in that service or in that message or in that altar. And we can have confidence in that. So I'm not campaigning. Don't mistake me. I'm not campaigning for quiet, sedate services. I don't think people are offended by a genuine move of the Spirit when people are standing all around them, tears streaming down their face, uh, jumping up and down for joy. Uh, I don't even think they're offended when somebody whizzes past them. They're just thinking like, what was that? (laughs) Um, If it's genuine, they get that. It's when it's contrived, it's forced, uh, and I think where, where I, I've seen this is we get baiting people. Um, and um, sometimes I, I've watched some preachers that can get pretty aggressive with our folks trying to get a response out of them. And it can get downright rude. Um, and you're disrespecting saints. Can I tell you something? I thank God for all the great leaders that are in this meeting. I thank God for the fivefold ministry. But the kingdom of God is measured in saints. And saints are a valuable commodity in a church. 
And when we disrespect the people of God by just talking down to them and demeaning them, I think that's what leads to some of this over-aggressive church stuff. I'm not saying be quiet. I'm not saying don't push. I'm not saying don't challenge. I'm just saying, could we do this out of love for God and not out of just trying to get some kind of cranked up response from people? Now, you've all had the advantage of being in this meeting. There has been a sweetness to the presence of God and a pure flow of his spirit. Have we been challenged? Yes. Have we gotten loud? Oh, my goodness, yes. But somebody walking into this meeting, they would think, my goodness, those people were in this room for four hours last night. And it was still as intense at the end as it was at the beginning. People people aren't offended by that. They're intrigued by that. One more thing. I'm talking too long. But, but Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And then he says to Timothy, and he, he alludes to it with some of the other uh, younger leaders in the New Testament, you be an example of the believers. Uh, all of you saints have a very important job if you've been saved more than about 15 minutes. You are now the older siblings in the family of God. And you are to be an example of the believers. So don't make your pastor and your leader crank on you to get a response. How does a new person that's lived for 20 or 30 or 40 years in the world, they don't know anything about us, how do they learn how to worship? They learn by watching you. How do they learn how to respond to preaching? By watching you. How do they learn how to give and sacrifice? How do they learn how to intercede? By watching you. How do they learn to live holy? By watching you. So your job is very important as an example of the believers, and they should be able to say, you should be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that's equally important in a service. Just be responsive to the presence of God and to pastor and to the worship leader. Do your job, and then we won't have to spend a half an hour cranking on you just to get a minimal level of response, and people won't think, that's weird. He just beat up those people for, for a half an hour. Don't, don't put each other in that spot. Ministry, respect the saints. Saints, respect the ministry. And let's have a genuine move of God uh, in every service that we're in because I don't feel like that is offensive. What's offensive is when we're trying to bait each other and, and, and kind of like... Uh, <laughs> that's enough. Good. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, that's so good, Brother Woodward. Uh, Brother Urshan, we were talking the other night and, and uh, you and your brother... Nathaniel Urshan said that when you guys were young and you were coming into ministry, that your father, um, who pastored and is an amazing preacher in and of himself, would uh, work with you guys, and he would never allow you or your brother to say, is this microphone on? Is this a Pentecostal church? Yeah. And he trained you all from the beginning. And, and both you and your brother, your preaching is very... Um, respectful of the audience. That's the only way I know how to say it. Um, do you think that that's an important part of making sure that our churches are a safe environment uh, for people to bring guests and that when, when we do preach that we don't preach for response? Absolutely, uh, Pastor Myers. And um, Dad was that way. He would tell us, you do not preach for response. You preach the word. And the response will come. Uh, as you preach the word, but the responsibility was always in our taught to us was always upon the preacher to be right with God 
to have the mind of God and to, and to deliver the word of the Lord in, in its pure form and that that would accomplish what was needed. And so we weren't allowed to do those things, you know, uh, to, to bait the audience and, and to respect, to respect the people that have gathered. Uh, you know, we speak a lot of times about, uh, loving people regardless and I think we have to talk, too, about respecting people regardless. We have to remember that every person that's sitting in these, in these places, they're made in the image of God. And that qualifies them for our respect. And so we, we, we give them respect because they are made in the image of God. And, and so when we preach to them, these are his people. This is the world he came to save. And so we feed the flock. And so he said, if we love him, then we will feed his sheep. So we have to recognize our role. And that, again, is the pulpit. It's the, it's the teachers. It's the greeters. It the, it's, permeates the whole uh, construct of the church that we are to feed the people. And what are we feeding them? We're feeding them the bread of life, the word that comes from the pulpit, the bread of life. But man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so we also feed the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Bishop Woodward, you mentioned uh, the sweetness that is here. And I love that word because that is what needs to come from the church, a sweetness. It's, it's the honey in the rock. And sweet is a, is a flavor. So uh, how do we use it in the context of personality? If we were to say, oh, that person, they are so sweet. What are we saying? You know, we're speaking of taste and flavor. We're describing the fruit of the Spirit. And the sweetness that we describe from a person, they are so sweet. They have a sweet spirit. What we're saying is they're loving, they're joyful, they're peaceful, they're gentle, they're good, they can endure long-suffering, uh, they're meek, they're self-controlled. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And this is something that that we are to we are to give to the people and... and uh, this is what this is what will enliven them because this is what God this is what feeds their soul. Yeah. This is the real food that that feeds their soul. And so when we're delivering uh, the word of the Lord uh, from the pulpit, it's going to be received by those uh, when we when we deliver it in that fashion. Amen. Pastor Hood, do you think that it's detrimental to um, speak about other denominations and other religions when you're preaching? I do. I can. We probably all can relate to the moment that we've uh, brought somebody, and uh, we brought our our dear Jehovah's Witness friend or Mormon friend. We have a great delegation of Mormon population, obviously in Denver, being in close proximity to Utah, and uh, and in that service would be the service where the pastor or the man of God would absolutely you know, give a, a dissertation on all the reasons why that particular religion was wrong. <clears throat> so I, I think that we do have to be careful in, in that regard, especially because in this vein of wanting to harvest in the borderlands, we're going to have the Corneliuses coming. And I always feel like, <clears throat> I remember one time as evangelists in Dangerfield, Texas, we had a row of nine people come from the assembly of God down the road and I preached a simple gospel message 
And I went back, and I could tell who the ringleader was. So I went to, he was a tall gentleman, probably about 6'1 or so, heavy set. And he had that Bible open and had that, you know, kind of a scowl on his face. And his first question to me was, were you telling me that my mom, my mom and dad, my grandparents who weren't baptized in Jesus' name, that they're going to hell? And I said, well, let's not, let's not talk about what you and I think is right or wrong. Let's, if you'll just give me about five minutes, let's just look at what the Word says. And I took them quickly to Acts 2, 8, 10, 19. And by taking an approach where I didn't put them on an offensive, like, well, yeah, you're exactly right. They're all burning in hell right now, you know, and, and creating that denominational barrier. Right. I rather would build a bridge because the gospel builds a bridge. Right. And, and every one of them on that row, every one of every, all nine of them got baptized that night. Aww. And I think that that's, that's part of even where we are more so now than ever is we have people that, come from various backgrounds, various denominational influences, and they do have an experience with God. And we're trying to, we're trying to bring them from the Cornelius 10 and 1 to the 10 and 44 through 48 where they get the Holy Ghost while Peter yet spake these words. So I, I do believe we have to, be, have to be careful. And being careful doesn't mean compromise. You're not compromising because you're trying to be cautious or have love. And one thing I teach even about the gifts of the Spirit is, it's better to seek all of the fruits. Sometimes you only need one gift, but we need all the fruits. And if we can encapsulate the, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit in the fruits of the Spirit, then we don't have a danger of intimidating people or dominating people or manipulating people. We don't ever want the operation of the Spirit that we say is supernatural and can change anybody to step into a realm where it's just manipulating emotions or intimidating somebody that, you know, bless God, you have to, I think that this, this fruits of the spirit approach and understanding that when we preach Calvary and it is going to be offensive, that it's the most magnetic message in all the world. It's going to pull people out of that seat. It's going to pull that center off the back row. It's going to pull that backslider out of that pig pen and out of that slop of iniquity. And it's going to bring them to a place of hope. Amen. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, Brother Woodward, you know, we don't want to harness the pulpit. We, we are apostolic. We're Pentecostal. And yet we want to create an environment where we can reach as many people as possible. So the question I'd like for you to address is this. How do we find that balance? We don't want it to be something where we are restricting the pulpit. We, I think our churches are designed with there being this this free flow of anointing and being able to be you know spontaneous follow the flow of the holy ghost and so we we want to keep that we don't want to become regimented and, and somehow boxed in but yet on the other hand we want to be aware that we're we're trying to win as many people as possible how do we find the balance there well i i think we've we've hit on some really key concepts here one is that you respect the people that you're speaking to, so you don't talk down to them. Um, that you preach Jesus, that you preach a positive message. You can preach about things that are very weighty in Scripture and still preach it in a positive sense. Um, some of the old debates, there probably was a time in the lives of our elders when they had to 
really carve out the apostolic movement and we had to distinguish ourselves from some other things that we had either come out of um, or, or that were attacking us. Um, it, it's a very similar dynamic um, to David and Solomon to me, uh, that David has to war and fight uh, to gain that kingdom. But then Solomon reigns over the golden age of Israel. He's actually at peace. For him to go to war in that day against peaceful nations would have been wasted energy. They were coming to him. They were coming to see his wisdom and coming to see his wealth and coming to see the blessing of God. Where Solomon messed up was when he actually headed that way and started imitating pagan gods and and, and intermarrying with all of those other uh, the, the wives of all these other nations, princesses and, and queens, that, that, was, that was his downfall. But he had been passed a kingdom that he didn't even realize, I don't think, what he had. And sometimes I don't think what we realize what we have. People come because they want this. Right. People come because they're intrigued by this. Uh, we, we've had a little influx of people. Uh, one is a college professor in our town. He was actually on the board of directors of another church, kind of a, a, a pseudo-Pentecostal church. They used to be uh, with the, the UPC way back in the day, like this is decades ago. And uh, he came. There's another lady named uh, Barb that came. There's another uh, couple that came that had uh, African roots, and every one of them say, we remember the church back in Africa. There was a move of the spirit and we're, we're tired of the deadness. And, and one of these ladies, she told me, she said, I went to the pastor and said, I don't ever hear about the Holy Spirit here. Um, and he, he said to her, well, we believe if God wants people to have the Holy Spirit, he'll just do that. And we don't have to talk about it or bring them up and pray for them. And she said, I want that. And so we've had this influx of people that are just tired of the trend in the religious world toward everything's neat and cut and dried and packaged and ready for the the webcast, the podcast, the TV show. It's very cut and dried. Hollywood does that way better than any church will ever do it. Hollywood majors in taking fake things and making them look real. Uh, And sometimes we make the mistake of taking real things and we're trying so hard, we end up making them look fake. And, and they're not fake. They're precious and powerful. And wow. so, so that flow of the Spirit of God, I think everything that's been said here comes to a head in that pulpit, in that message. And I would say to pastors, if you're going uh, to be blessed in the borderlands, if you're going to reach for those people, uh, you're going to take some hits. You're going to take some hits from established saints that wonder where you're going. And you've got to be transparent and open and explain, this is what we're trying to do. We are not diminishing our Pentecostal experience. We are not adapting our Pentecostal worship. But we're going to take time and we're going to preach simple things, clear things. We're going to preach the gospel. Uh, we're not going to major on minors. Uh, we, we've got a Bible study night for that. We're going to reach for people when we're here on Sunday. And, and you'll take some hits. There's always a tension between new believers and established saints. That never goes away. If you're waiting for that to go away, pray for the rapture because it's not going away till then. Um, and so you stand in the gap almost 
as a preacher, as a pastor, as an evangelist, and, and you're trying to challenge the church while reaching for the lost. And uh, not one time in the New Testament does Paul or anybody else ever say to new believers, new Christians, oh, would you grow up and convenience the rest of us? Uh, every single time there's tension in the church, he goes to the established people and he talks to them and says, we're going to move over. We're going to make room. We're going to adapt. We're going to welcome the young. We're not going to offend them. We're not going to uh, make a big deal out of this and, and hurt them. And I think we've got to teach our churches that, that this is what we're about. This is what we're doing. And so, um, we need to get as excited when the evangelist preaches Acts 2.38 because we're part of the preaching and we're responding to the message knowing what it did for us. So don't just sit there and check out like I heard this all before. Uh, that's, a, that's a huge part of having an unfettered pulpit that we're free from that expectation that my goodness, I've got to come up with something that's 45 feet deep for these saints that have been in the church for 122 years. That, that's bogus. That's, that's crazy. One of the things I say to Brother Urshan all the time when I'm with him, and I've had the privilege for a, a, a little bit of time, a few events, and his ministry always strikes the, 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 the powerful revelations of the Word of God. You can't hear that man preach. He, he could preach on Beelzebub and he'd talk about the name of Jesus and the oneness of God and baptism in Jesus name and the Holy Ghost. And because the great themes of scripture are in every message he preaches, there's always power there. The oneness of God, there's always power there. The new birth, there's always power there. The Holy Ghost, there's always power there. And so, uh, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be deep. It just needs to be the word. And, uh, and I think that helps us in the pulpit, Brother Wow, Myers. so good, Brother Woodward. Uh, Brother Urshan, you've, uh, you've been able to grow Tree of Life Church in Cincinnati um, and really develop a multicultural um, church there that you pastor. And, you know, we live in a world that's very divisive. They're divided over, you know, Democrat and Republican divided over race, what, what can we do, what can we learn as leaders that we can present the gospel in such a way that doesn't feed into this divisive nature of our culture? That's a great question, uh, and, and it's a great, but again, there's a great solution, yeah. you know, and uh, I loved what Brother Bounds said last night about media. We have to be so careful what we consume because the enemy is not our friend. He's just that. He's our enemy. And he is trying to divide the church because he knows that if he can divide the church, then the church won't reach the world. Uh, so we have to be careful what we consume. And, and we have to, what we have, we don't just have to be careful what we consume. We have to be intentional about what we consume. And we have to consume the presence of the Lord. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And when we come into the house of God, and not just when we come to church, but anytime we go out into the world or into the, 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 the structure that we call the, the church building and minister to the people who gather, 
we, we really have to be right with God and prepared to minister to them. So if you're consuming media, that's what's going to be in your, so it's going to be in your spirit. And you can try all you want. It's going to come out of your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. So you have to be consumed by the presence of God. And when you are consumed by the presence of God, his love for his people is going to get so in you that it's going to come out of you. And it's going to, it's going to uh, come out of you in the form of, of preaching and teaching. So you're not going to have to try to love people. You're just going to love people. You're not going to have to try so hard, oh, I better watch my mouth because I might end up smacking somebody. No. God's going to take the smack out of your spirit. <laughs> he's he's going to soften you. I was telling Pastor Elms yesterday, the Lord's dealing with me about a message I was reading in the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible says that the small rain is for the tender herbs. And the small rain is that dew. It's the distillation of the dew. And it's, it's the mist that comes softly upon the, the grass. And the ten, there are tender herbs in that grass. And tender herbs are herbs that are trying to grow, but they're not, they're not strong in stalk. They're, they're not strong in roots yet. The, the trunk is not developed to, to take a heavy hurricane. And so there's a small rain that comes upon the tender herbs. And we have to be so careful. Yes, we need the mighty rushing wind. We do. But we, we also need to be able to distill the dew. His, the Bible says his doctrine drops as the dew upon the tender herbs and and it can fall and you won't even know it's falling mm. you, you walk out in the morning and you say i didn't even know it rained but my feet are wet as i walk through this grass that's because the rain fell and nobody knew it fell it just it came down as distilled droplets upon small tender herbs the tender mercies of god are for the tender herbs mm. and the tender loving kindness that's in us and the tender-heartedness that we're to have is for the tender herbs. And we have to be able to walk in that dimension. Yes. And our the people that walk into our churches, they're coming. They've been so, the efforts of the enemy to indoctrinate everybody have been so prevalent that when they walk into the house of God, they need to walk into a place where the doctrine of God is distilling as the dew. And the tender herb that God has growing, that that seed is broken up and it's just a little sprout of hope right now. Don't come, don't come with the, 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 as we would say in the old days, the golly washer necessarily in that yeah. moment. But bring the doctrine as, as the distilled do. And, and you don't, again, you don't have to try so hard. You don't have to water it down. You don't have to, you don't have to say, okay, I've got to try really hard to, to make sure that I'm not offensive. No, just get in the presence of God. And let the Lord soften your spirit. Let the Lord tenderize your heart. Mm. When you step into the pulpit, the softness of his compassion is going to come. And where you need to be strong, it will be in order. As, as Bishop Woodward and Pastor Hood have already described, it, it will be in order to where they'll receive it. Because it comes at the right time, in the right place. And so when Paul looked at Mars Hill and you know the Bible is very the Bible is very uh, delicate as to how it describes that scene. 
I want to tell you what he saw unfold there was, was a real debauched situation because he was watching all the religious rituals of heathen idolatry unfold at Mars Hill. And as he passes by and beholds their devotions, it's stuff we would, we, we would have ran away from it. But he perceived that in all things they were, he said, the translator said, too superstitious. And, and what Paul was saying was that they were very spiritual, that they were trying to reach for something spiritual. And so when he walked among their devotions, he didn't run away in condescension toward them. Of, of, How dare you? What a debauched people. No, his spirit was moved when he saw the city completely given to idolatry. And that's what moved him into the action of preaching and teaching and reaching for their souls. And some believed after he finished preaching. And that's the way we have to look at our world. Mm. When we look at the, you talked about the, the debates that are, that are very real right now in culture and all the divisive opportunities that can present themselves. Instead of getting down into the, into the dirt with all of that and just fighting with everybody, no, let, the, let your spirit be moved with compassion and say there is a highway called holiness that is above the fray of all of this that, that the world is dealing with. And if we'll get on that highway, guess what? There is no ethnic division on that highway. On that highway, there is no political division on that highway. Hallelujah. He is one and we can be one Amen. in the love of God and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, that's so good. So rich. Brotherhood, um, we've talked this week about prodigals backsliders there's so many times that you meet somebody in the community in a walmart you find out they had a background in pentecost they want to come back to church it seems like there's um, a difficult step for them to take to come back to church because they fear how they'll be treated when they come back home How do we ensure that our churches are a safe place for prodigals to come home? This was a particular burden of mine that hits close to home because I wasn't raised in a Pentecostal home. I was the first one in my immediate family that got the Holy Ghost. And my mom and dad got it about three years later. I started preaching at 13. So that kind of had to make them come to church because I had to get there. <laughs> but... But then after my wife and I got married in 91, my mother left my dad about five days after we got married. And so the journey of watching these two individuals basically backslide <clears throat> and then both get remarried was, was quite a challenge for me personally because here I was traveling the country, having moves of God, seeing people get the Holy Ghost, you know, rejoicing in the numbers as we all can feeling fulfilled and yet going back in those lonely moments to the hotel room and the devil saying, yeah, what about your mom and dad? What about your mom and dad? And I kept holding on to promises that I knew I had. I had received from God about it. So my mother remarries. That was kind of troublesome for a while at first. You know, you know, am I going to be able to get along with this man? 
Are we going to get in a fist fight? Am I going to have to give him the fivefold ministry? You know. <laughs> so, but he was the most gentle and kind and just wonderful person. And long story short on that, it's not too late for that. Um, Bob Johnson, I drove up from a revival in Pensacola, Florida to Mississippi. And I got to baptize him in 2000 in Jesus' name. And I remember when he come out of the water, water just dripping off of him. And he would stop every now and then. He'd talk in tongues. He'd stop every now and then. He said, Woo, I've been looking for this my whole life. And he'd talk in tongues for more. And he'd, Woo, I've been looking for this my whole life. So that was kind of a piece of the puzzle. Then to really make this soap opera interesting, two years later, about 2002, my dad remarries his first wife. So he, he had had a first marriage, which I had three half brothers and a half sister. So, that, you know, talk about a vortex of confusion. I walked around with a constant, who am I? Anyway, but I got to preach in northern Mississippi, a couple revivals in that area. My stepmother comes. She gets the Holy Ghost, gets baptized in Jesus' name, and several in that downline of the family comes to church and gets the Holy Ghost. My point is I didn't get defensive. I didn't didn't make it an argumentative thing. I just dealt with what was presented to me. And over time, I watched God take backslidden conditions and turn it into blessings in the borderlands Wow! and to bring people in from different walks of life until now my dad's 83 and my mother's 75 both their spouses have died and uh, to, to tragic situations and they are the best of friends now you could not have convinced me that 20 years ago that that was even possible mm. so my heart toward the backslider is I want to see the backslider when they come in. I want to be able to see them like I see my mom and dad. Mm. And I want to tell somebody here in the Holy Ghost today. Usually we re- we talk about, you've got a son and a daughter out there, but I'm going to reverse it today. I want to tell somebody here today, you've got a mom and a dad out there mm. that maybe have walked away from the truth. It took 25 years to see some of these things that I'm talking about come to pass. And to feel the constant consternation about, here you are having these great results in everybody else's church, but what about your own family? But if you'll take care of God's business, and if you'll treat every backslider that comes into the building with respect like that's your backslid relative or best friend, God's going to take care of that. And I believe we are going to continue to see the promise of the prodigals. And I'll tell you something to, to be quick. I'll tell you something the Lord revealed to me in, in looking at the four grounds. You know, we talk about the sower sowing the seed. And we've used that at times. We've heard about, well, you're going to get 25%, you know, because you're going to have seed go on the wayside and seed in thorny ground, seed on the stony ground, and then you finally get to the good ground. But that is not correct to the text. In fact, show me in that text where it ever says that the wayside and the stony ground and thorny ground is equal to the size of the fertile soil. I believe that the fertile land is way bigger than the wayside, thorny, and stony ground. And so let's make more minimalized the people that we may lose to the wayside, thorny ground, and stony, and all the cares of life. And let's create a bigger field for the good soil. And that means that when the prodigal comes home, when the prodigal comes home, notice that he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. He didn't say, I'm going back to my brother's house. He probably already knew how his brother felt about him. But I'm going back to daddy's house because his hired servants are treated better than what I'm getting treated in this pig pen. And here's a revelation in that text. 
How did he know to get back to his dad's house? Because his dad never moved. You don't have to move from your message. You don't have to move from your passion. You don't have to move from your altar. In fact, you've got to stay where you are. Because if they're going to find their way home, they've got to come back to the Pentecostal experience they know they walked away from. They're going to come back to those altars where they used to get drunk in the spirit. And they used to feel the glory of God. And they used to feel the downpours of his presence. And so you stay where you are. You be that lighthouse. You be stationary in the spirit. Because when that ship is lost on the sea and in the turbulent waters of this cultural, all the wars and conflicts and generation that we're facing, they need you to stay where you are as a spiritual mooring. Because when they come back and you're not there, you've moved on to some other doctrine. How are they going to get back to us? Our prodigals are coming home to a one God apostolic tongue talking Jesus name holiness message. You don't have to beat it into them. They've already judged themselves. The prodigal came to himself. They are coming to themselves. What do I want to live in this culture of a world that has done nothing but empty me? And one last thought. Some of you may be saying, why haven't they come home yet? Because maybe like the prodigal, they got a few dimes left. But when they've spent it all and they are down to nothing and they're in that slop, they're going to get a revelation. I had it a whole lot better at such and such daddy's church at the Pentecostal home where the power of God could be felt. So you hold on to that promise because I believe that prodigals are coming home by the millions. We want to reach the world by the billions, and we will. But we're going to reach the prodigals in this country by the millions in Jesus' name. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Let's stand and lift our voices. Come on, would you receive that word right now in the name of Jesus? Use your voice right now. Begin to prophesy that. Come on, the prodigals are coming home. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, we believe it, Lord. We claim it by your word. Hallelujah. Come on, we're going to rejoice in advance for our prodigals that are coming home. We're not going to wait till we see them there. We're going to go ahead and rejoice by faith. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Confirmation. God's going to have the final say. Amen. Praise God. Well, our worship team is going to come. We're going to change the stage here a little bit. We're going to get ready to move into our uh, next uh, portion of conference and get ready for uh, the message from brother daniel kyle uh, why don't we go ahead and take about a five minute break and uh, we'll meet back here in just a moment and we'll transition amen god is good thank you so much amen thank you gentlemen
Praise God. Come on, as you make your way back to your place, we're just going to enter another time of worship in this house. Amen. What a great session. Pastor Hood said it really, really well. You don't have to compromise who you are in order to reach a world that's looking for something authentic. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's just stand our feet, lift our hands. We're just going to entertain the presence of God. If you want to come out and come down front, we're just going to worship for just a little while here and we'll go into our, our next section. Praise God. Amen.
let's praise one more time. Come on. I know you want to. I feel it. I feel it already deep down in your soul, bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. It's bubbling. It's bubbling. It's bubbling in my soul. Bubble, 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 bubble. It's bubbling. It's it's bubbling. There's a bubbling that's occurring from the wellspring of his goodness. In the 90s, coming from an engineering background with a beautiful, wonderful woman of God as a wife, you had a family that was enriched in the ways of the kingdom. An evangelist, a firebrand evangelist, a man who preached wonderful revivals. Months at Wayne Huntley's church, some of the most powerful revivals Brother Huntley had. But God plucked him out of the fertile soils of Louisiana and planted him in the coral soil of South Florida and my neighbor now for going on 30 years is a man who God has entrusted the Pentecostals of the Palm Beaches pristine in integrity a man of amazing ethic the neighbor that every pastor hopes they can have I introduce to you a man of God of great mental acuity of great passion a father of tremendous children of anointing and passion. When you receive him in this pulpit, he's not just a one-trick pony, but he is a man of God. Would you put your hands together and welcome the pastor of the Pentecostals of the Palm Beaches, Brother Daniel Kyle. Well, praise the Lord, everybody. Let's make our way back to our seats, if you will. I'm not good with music in the background, so you guys can take a seat. <laughs> My uh, poor musicians, those at different places that we do go, we, we try not to offend. M music controls me, and I don't want to be controlled right now, so we just... Um, it is such an honor, and I know we've clapped uh, many times for Brother and Sister Myers in this church, but I tell you, since Wednesday night, Thursday morning, last night, the word that we have heard, we are a privileged people. Can you thank the man and woman of God that made it possible? Love you, Brother Myers, Sister Myers, church. This wonderful, wonderful congregation that has labored. Of course, his beautiful daughter, Sophia, we were walking out the door just a moment ago and she walks by and she goes, good luck. She, 
She knows something I don't know. I... <laughs> oh, we've been blessed, haven't we? Now, how would you like to stand up here and my <laughs> says no and minister after the panel just instructed every preacher how they should delicately <laughs> deliver the word of God in such an incredible way that every level and every individual gets this incredible revelation before we walk out of the building. How would you like to be that guy? But here I am. To all the ministry that has so uh, wonderfully blessed us, the men of God, we are honored to be in your presence. I told somebody, and, and this isn't me speaking uh, humble of myself, but it's really just a fact. I feel like a Shetland pony amongst stallions. And these are wonderful men of God, aren't they? Every one of them, preachers, preachers of the word of God. I do feel like I have come with the voice of the Lord for this moment. And I will do my best to deliver my soul to you. I take living for God very seriously. And I know that everyone that is in this building does as well. Every day, we try to find that answer that will help us walk just a little closer to Jesus. To be a little more effective in our walk with him. So I hope this morning that I can be a small part of what has already been so incredible. I give all the credit of who I am. First place, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He found an occasion in the backside of the swamp, strung out on drugs. Nobody knew him or his family. Everything I have is because of him. And I honor my wife, who allows me to drag her all over the world <laughs> into some really bad places. And she's there supporting and loving. She was up early this morning praying. Amen. Let's get into the word of the Lord. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 20. You know, every preacher has their allotted messages, some maybe recently written, some maybe they've preached a hundred times. That's okay. The word of God is fresh every time. And just praying and seeking God, I, I, I knew the direction from the moment Brother Myers gave me a cardiac arrest and said, you'll be ministering at Wins Conference next year. I, I knew the Lord dropped instantly into my heart, instantly. 
But I wanted confirmation. My wife prayed with me last night and she said, let's believe God for confirmation tonight. God's going to. And when I said confirmation, I didn't mean my message. I, I didn't mean, you know, literally preach the message. But we were so blessed last night by two towering great men of God who I know themselves are humble in his presence to attempt to draw us closer. So if you'll walk with me for a few minutes today, together, I'm not preaching to you from an elevated position. I'm preaching to you from the trenches. I'm with you. I'm, we're in there together trying to figure out how to win this thing and how to be the most powerful saint of God that we can be can be for the Lord. A few scriptures. I don't have you standing, but you're going to be sitting for hours. So just, you know, bear a few more minutes. First Samuel chapter 20 verse. We're going to begin with verse number one. And David fled from Naath and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is mine iniquity? What is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid. Now, Jonathan is responding to David and he says, God forbid thou shalt not die. Behold, my father do nothing either great or small but that he will show it to me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Notice David's response. And David swore him over and said, Thy father certainly knoweth I have found grace in thine eyes. And he has said, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved, but... Truly, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. Then said Jonathan unto David, listen to these words. Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. Verse 14, chapter 20, just a few more verses. And thou shalt not only while yet I live, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. Now, Jonathan turns the tables. Verse he says, David, you're, you're not going to die. But now, several verses later, after things have happened, he comes Back to David and he says, show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Verse 17, and Jonathan calls David to swear again because he loved him 
For he loved him as his own soul. Two more verses. Chapter 23, verse 17. And he said unto him, fear not. Jonathan said to David, fear not. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find thee. Now listen to the words of Jonathan. And thou shalt be king over Israel. And then look at his desire. Look at his heartbeat. And I shall be next unto thee. And that also Saul, my father, he knows this. First Samuel 31 and 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel. And the men of Israel fled. Before the Philistines. And they fell down slain in Mount Geboah. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan. I want to help us today. I want to help me. I want us to leave here today with our life changed. It's not going to be the same old, same old. But in order for that to happen, we have to be aware of something. And I want to minister to us a, a title. I'm, I'm going to give it a parody of words. You can understand what it is I'm trying to say. But I, I want to talk to us today about being in love with David. But loyal to Saul. In love with David. But I'm just too loyal to Saul. Father, I believe that you're going to help us today. Walk this journey. I pray that you arrest our hearts and our minds, Father. Let an awareness come to our spirit. Let revelation come to us, God. Open our eyes, which have been scaled. Open them, Father. Let us see. Make us aware, Father, that the adversary is quickly to steal the word of God. Make us aware, Lord, Father, that there are choices we must make. Give us the strength to walk out of this place here today. Not only to be in love with you, but to serve you and to walk with you. Not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word in our life, Father. I pray that you turn every man and woman in this congregation into a mighty, giant, spiritual powerhouse of the name of Jesus. Let us walk out here, God, and cause the devil to tremble is our prayer put your hands together for the Lord let's give him praise 
Come on, praise him for a moment. We love you, Jesus. Come on, tell him, I love you, Jesus. I love you. 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 I love you, Jesus. Lord bless you. You may be seated. I'd like to try to set a precedence of why I'm attempting to deliver this word today. I believe that we are living in the last days. I believe in my heart that there is no more time to play church. We're running out of time to save our families. We're running out of time to reach our neighbors. We're running out of time to reach the backsliders that we spoke of so clearly here today. I believe that we are living in the last days. We do not need to be consumed about the things that the Word of God talks about in the end time when the Lord tells us the earth will quake and rocks of fire will fall and volcanoes will gush their inner, uh, their inner substance and, and all of the things that will take place because I want to let you know that whether you're pre or mid or trib or whether you're pan tribulation, it's just all going to pan now, whatever it is that you may believe, I'm here to tell you God is big enough and strong enough to keep his church no matter what comes upon this earth. We do not need to fear what's coming. Do not get distracted of the end time calamity, but let's get focused that there are souls we must reach. Somebody shout, I'm a soul winner. You know, I'm a little disturbed. The Bible tells us in Revelations, Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the seal, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath. Listen to this. Because he knoweth he hath but a short time. You see, Satan knows the time is short. The question is, do we? The question is, is the church as aware as the demonic world that the days are shortened, that the elect just might be saved? Roaring lion sinking who he may devour. I run out of gas quick, so you see me stop and sip a little. That's another 20 minutes right there. I'm just trying to scare David, uh, Brother Myers, a little bit. So sorry. Our time to reach the loss is short. We have to put aside our silly fleshly games. We've got to stop this carnality 
uh, this carnality uh, life of ours that we are constantly going back and forth from the presence of God and then entertaining this flesh and giving to the things that it desires. I'm telling you, I can feel it happening in this, in this conference. I told Pastor Myers that I, I, I feel that something's going to change in this conference and, and that we're not going to be a group of people that come just to hear the word of God be fired up and go home. But something's going to happen. People are going to be changed. Our cities are going to be changed. Our workplaces are going to be changed. Because the men and women of God are going to leave this place and go forth with power. We have to sell out in these last days. We've got to be willing to give God everything we are. There is not one of us in this building right now with all of our strength that would not stand to our feet and cry out with the top of our voice. I love you, Jesus. Can I hear you say it? Come on, say it again. One more time from your belly. Love you, Jesus. Clap your hands to him. He's a mighty God. You see, the Lord knows that. We tell him that every day. When Saul first met David, just walk with me for a moment. When Saul first met David, it was an incredible thing. I, I believe he was sort of taken back. You know, Saul was a Saul was a man that understood the anointing. He was anointed by Samuel. The people may have chosen, but then God anointed him. And he, he knew what it meant to feel that anointing to be upon him, to feel the glory of God. And when that little boy showed up in front of King Saul, and we, we don't know how old he was, maybe about 17 years old. We're, we're not really sure, you know, what size he was, but he was probably extremely physically uh, in condition like me. I wear jackets so that my muscles don't bulge out. You know, Try to keep things covered up here. Yeah. This little, this little fella makes his way up to, up to King Saul and he says, don't let the people fear. He said, that dirty dog Philistine, I'll go out there, I'll take him down. And Saul looks at him and he looks down at this boy and he says, what are you talking about, son? He said, you, you are, you're but a youth. And he was a, a warrior from his youth. David looked up at the king and said, oh, can I tell you just something real quick? I was watching my daddy's sheep and a bear came alone. I didn't quite recognize it. I didn't quite understand it, but I felt something come over me uh, a power and a strength uh, that was unnatural uh, and I got a hold of that beast uh, and I broke it I broke its jaw uh, and I took him down and the same thing happened king uh, when a lion came uh, and there Saul looking at David uh, he's remembering the power uh, of the anointing uh, you know why I believe that because pray tell me why the king uh, would send a 17 year old boy down into a valley when the entire people of Israel were at stake. 
He certainly did not have faith in David's ability to fight. If he had faith in that, he would not have clothed him with his armor. He tried to protect him. We know the story. There was something else that Saul got a glimpse of. And it was the anointing of God. I wish you could hear me today. I'm telling you, when you walk out of this building, the power of God rests on you. The anointing of God is upon you. Don't you let that devil lie to you. Don't you let nobody intimidate you. You are filled with the glory and the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's love him. Praise him. Somebody shout, I love you, Jesus. Yeah. It's all like David. And uh, boy went out there and killed that giant. Took his own sword and cut his head off. Held that head up. Rejoice. And Saul said, who is that boy? Well, that's the son of Jesse. Son of Jesse. Son of Jesse. Son of Jesse. Oh, yeah. Didn't three of his brothers fight with me? Yeah, they're hiding over there behind the rocks. He said, bring that boy to me. And David begins to walk with Saul. And it's okay for a little while. Spirit walks with the flesh. It lasts for a little while. You know what I'm talking about? Especially when we first pray through. God's so patient. He's so loving. And the spirit walks with our carnality. As God works things out of us. As he slowly brings us into accordance to his will and his law and his word. But there comes, there comes a moment when the spirit tugs a little bit too hard and the flesh can't handle it anymore. And a separation begins to happen as God begins to pull us apart. And so David and Saul, they were, they were able to walk together for just a little while until the spirit begins to give consecration and dedication and holiness and separation. And it begins to pull away from the things that the flesh desires. And that, friend, is when the battle begins. You see, this is the dangerous part. If we play with the flesh for too long, there's going to come a time when it's going to catch you, Jonathan, on the wrong mountain at the wrong time. In our text, we see a young man torn between who he sees to be the true king, the true coming anointed king of Israel, 
and the one that he was raised with, uh, the area of comfort and familiarity of his life and the things that he uh, knows and understands. But from a distance, there's a voice uh, that's calling him, trying to pull him out, uh, trying to pull him away. And so we find Jonathan and he's caught between this scenario of being in love with David, but being so loyal to Saul. So Jonathan, we don't want to, we don't want to pick on him too much. Jonathan had a lot at stake. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 2, and I want to read all these verses because it's just going to take up too much time. But that verse tells us that Jonathan was one of the, one of the captains of Saul's army and that Saul had put a thousand men, uh, the three chosen, the three thousand chosen men of Saul, a thousand of those were under Jonathan's control and rule and, and, and his persuasion, how to handle things in the army. And so we see that there is a, a lot to give up here uh, in position. And sometimes we may have to make sacrifices concerning positions of the world in order to be used in the kingdom of God. You see, I don't know where we're coming from. I don't know where you may be. It may be the corporate kingdom. It could be finances or sports. It could be a successful business or high corporate position. It could be the government. I don't know where God found you, but I am telling you today where he wants to bring you is greater than anything the world has to offer you. We heard it mentioned just a little bit last night, but there's some of you, you're wondering, should I take this step? Should I cross over? Oh, you love him, you love him, you love him. You're in church every Sunday. You pay your tithes. You're faithful. You're loyal. You love God. You pray to him. You seek him. But the flesh, the world, the things of this world, what the world has to offer, it's got a strong pull on you. But you can hear the voice of David saying, come out, come out, come out. Be you separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. I will receive you unto myself. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, let that sink in a moment. Let that sink in a moment. He knows you love him. In order to have power in the kingdom. Sometimes we have to give up power in the world. But don't worry. The power God gives you in the kingdom. Will give you power over all the power. Of the world. Stay with me. I'm going to try to go somewhere. Brother I don't see a timer. feel that was very unwise. I also feel the panel took way too long. Somebody shout, I love Jesus. Jonathan didn't only have a powerful position. He was successful. 
And you follow him. You know, he took a, just him and his little armor bearer. And they, they were, I think it was 20, there were 20 Philistines up on a hill up there. And, and uh, Jonathan said, come on, let's go and let's go do that. And, and his armor bearer says, well, you know, Jonathan, there's 20 of them. And there's only two of us. And I love Jonathan's response. Yeah, I want to show you how the Holy Ghost has a way of rubbing off on you. If you'll just wake up and realize what's going on in your life. And Jonathan responds to his armor bearer and says, the Lord will be with us. Now, I got news for you. He didn't get that from Saul. The Bible says Saul never inquired of the ark of God. He didn't seek God. His faith was in his own strength, his own ability. That's what Saul did. That's how he raised his children. But Jonathan had hung around David long enough to understand the odds don't matter. It don't matter how big the giant is, how loud the lion roars. When God is with you, oh, Things are possible. Somebody shout, I love Jesus. Now there's pleasures in this world. Don't let nobody lie to you. Tell you this world doesn't have pleasures. The Bible tells us. In fact, the word of the Lord tells us that Moses... chose to suffer the afflictions of the children of God rather than enjoy the... Yeah, this world has pleasures. We're not dealing with a, an ignorant God. He knows the world has a lot to offer you. We're flesh. We have desires. And we have... Lust. My voice. The world can temporarily fulfill these things. But if we're going to be used in the kingdom of God, we got to be willing to lay down every weight and every sin that easily besets us. And every one of us know what those weights and those sins are in our life. How do I identify them, Pastor? I'll tell you how. When you leave a service like this and the glory of God over these days and you're so filled with the power and glory of God and you make your way back out, things begin to settle all of a sudden. You begin to feel a draw back to some old ways, some old things. They may not be sins. They may only be weights. But they're going to hinder you from doing what God has called you to do. I plead with you today, Jonathan. I plead with you today, Jonathan. Choose David. We have to lay aside, and this is a, I think this is sort of the turning point that we're kind of looking at. Is what are we going to do with this? 
all that God has given us. First of all, I encourage you greatly that the first thing you need to do when you go home is go to the website and re-look up Wins Conference and re-listen to every message because you didn't get it all. But while you re-listen, God will re-baptize you. He'll strengthen you all over again. I don't care how many times you got to do that. Every time you feel the weight, every time you feel the sin, every time Saul calls, every time Saul says, come on, come on, I need you. I need you, Jonathan. Come on, come on. Turn on winds conference. Turn on to preaching. Turn, get, get a prayer. Talk to God. Cast off the weight. Cast off the sin. Here I come, David. Here I come, David. Somebody shout, I love Jesus. Ten more minutes and I'll be done with my foundation. Preacher, how long do I have? How long do I have? It's tender. Oh. So, Jonathan had a lot going for him. I I understand that. God understands that. God understands that you might have to give up a lot. He does. There are many that have. I know there's a young preacher here uh, with us that gave up. Him and his wife gave up high corporate jobs, six figures. <laughs> to visit churches like me that pay evangelists 50 bucks. Maybe next year we'll, we'll raise it to 50. But anyway. <laughs> gave up a six-figure career. Preach. The most powerful thing that could ever come out of your mouth to change lives. Whatever God's calling you to sacrifice, it's your reasonable service. Lay it down on the altar. Give it to him and let him have his way in your life. So Jonathan was mighty used in the kingdom of Saul, but the, but when we flip the coin, we also, we realize that Jonathan was not deceived. Jonathan recognized the anointing on David. We heard his very own words, uh, testimony against him. I know that you're going to be king and my father knows you're going to be king. It had already been established. He was, he was not deceived. He was making choices. 
You see, Saul, so Jonathan was there when, when he saw his father do a few things that caused the anointing of God to leave him. I need you to listen to me because we've got to recognize these things in our own life. And when we recognize these things, we'll be able to say, whoa, it looks good. It sounds good, but it ain't good. It's not of God. We got to be able to recognize it. And one of the first times we find in First Samuel uh, chapter 13, don't go to it. I'm not going to read them. But here we find Samuel comes to Saul. Saul been waiting on Samuel to show up to do the sacrifice. And they were going to go to war against the, the Philistines. And there they are waiting. And Saul's just patient and just twiddling his thumbs. And he's just moving around. Finally, he couldn't wait any longer. And so he goes and he does the sacrifice himself. And the moment it's done, he turns. And here comes the prophet. Here comes the prophet. Watch the words of Saul. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? Saul said, Watch this. Because I saw the people. I was swayed by popularity. I found that some things God is asking me to do, it's not very popular. And when I do them, I lose my popularity. The people don't look at me like they used to look at me. I'm not welcomed like I used to be welcomed. Oh, yes, you are. It's just a different family. When we go, when we leave this conference and we make our way back home, we need to be careful that our family don't sway us. Our friends don't sway us. Our co-workers don't sway us. Paul said, uh, Saul said, I looked at the people. I looked at the people. And then he said, and then not only that, he said, you didn't show up when you were supposed to. Impatient with God. I got a little sermonette I preach. The perfect timing of God. I'm not going to preach it today because that would add an hour. <laughs> but you know, there was nothing wrong with Abraham. Listen to me. Abraham had everything he needed to fulfill the promise of God. There was nothing wrong with him. And God knew that. So God married him to his perfect timing. And until God was ready, he didn't open Sarah's womb. And how do we know there was nothing wrong with Abraham? Hello? It's called Ishmael. There was nothing wrong with him. 
But Sarah became impatient with God. And because of her impatience, she did something out of timing. And we need to look at our flesh and understand that there's nothing we can do in the flesh that will bring about the power of God in our life. Forget about the people. Forget about the timing. Wait on God. Somebody shout, I love Jesus. I'm trying to give us the foundation that causes us to pursue after Saul. Popularity. Impatience. I couldn't wait. The Philistines had gathered. The spirit of fear was on Saul. And then he says, so I force myself justification. We justify our actions. We justify our deeds. We call them holy. But deep down inside, we know the timing's not right. We know it wasn't our place. And we had to wait on God. And all we really did was chase after Saul. We just remained loyal to Saul. With our mouths, we cry, I love you, Jesus. But what our actions we pursue Saul. With our mouths we say, I'm going to reign with you, David. But with our actions we pursue Saul. That's what's got to change. Let me, let me hasten on. I don't even know what that word means. But I heard a dignified preacher use it one time. It didn't help him either. He saw, saw in another place. I'm going to hurry past this, but Samuel comes up and he says, Saul sees him and says, I did it. Pastor, I did it. I obeyed the voice of God. I, I did what I was told to do. And I, I killed all them stinging Amalekites. And, oh, yes. And the prophet goes, we know. The prophet goes, what is the bleeding of these sheep? You didn't do everything I called you to do. You only did enough until you appeased your own conscience. Your own conscience. Your own spirit. Too many times we do just enough in God to make ourselves happy. We pray just long enough so the flesh is appeased. We pray just long enough so our soul is happy. We, we fast just long enough that we feel like we've done something. We work for God just hard enough that we appease ourselves, justify ourselves. And we walk around saying, I did it, I did it, I did it. When you know good and well, God has called you to a greater sacrifice, a higher height, a deeper prayer life, more study in the world. Somebody shout, I love you, Jesus. Jonathan, I'm pretty sure that clock's fast. Anybody here from Texas? What time is it? 
Jonathan sitting there next to his dad. What has happened to these churches with no chairs? I'm just kidding. I ain't got any either. I got tired of those. I can't say that because the panel said, I can't say that. In fact, there were several things I was going to say, and the panel said, I can't say it. But I got news for sanctuary. They're going to go, Pastor, you need to go watch that panel again. Saul was sitting there, and Jonathan comes up. I'm sorry, David comes up. There's Jonathan. I promise this little boy. You know the story, you already went through it. Jonathan is taking in everything. It's amazing to me. This little kid. And Jonathan, his heart starts palpitating. I don't know what that is, but I want it. And he watches him. And I don't know, I'm just kind of making all this up because, you know, the Bible, it didn't waste time on these trivial details. And, but I can just see Jonathan, you know, like we do. I can't say that. So Jonathan runs down the sideline and he gets somewhere to the 50 yard line. I didn't say anything. And he's watching what's going on. And he sees that little fella. And he reaches in the pocket. He slings. And Jonathan, he can hear him. It's, he can't hear it real loud because David's a ways off. But he thinks he hears something like this. You come to me with a sword and a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord. No, Jonathan, he's, he's looking. And all of a sudden, that rock leaves that little pouch. And giant falls to the ground. Pulls a sword. Cuts its head off. And Jonathan falls in love with David because in all of his time with King Saul in all of his time with the great leaders of, of the army of Israel Jonathan had never seen anything quite like that there's something different about this boy and I'm here to tell you it don't matter what's out there it'll never compare the church. It'll never compare to the name of your God, to the power of the Spirit. Look at your neighbor and tell him, stop pursuing Saul. Somebody shout, I love you, Jesus. You can be seated. Pastor, I promise y'all, hurry up. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Jonathan runs into David. He sees him, watches him kill the giant. Something gets a hold of his heart. The Bible says he falls in love with him. I got a question for you. Do you remember the first time that you walked the 
into an anointed Holy Ghost filled service. My mother raised me religiously. She, we were raised Baptists. We would come home from school. My mother was blind and crippled, so she couldn't see. And, uh, and she was, she raised us, all seven of us children. I was the youngest of seven. She raised us uh, by herself. And, and the three kids, the, uh, Pam, Sam, and Dan. I gotta be real careful saying my name after Pam and Sam. But anyway, Pam, Sam, and Dan. So she would, what's wrong with you people? Y'all got too much Saul in you. That's your problem. Brother Urshan said on the panel, if your spirit be pure, all things be pure for you. I should have heard at least one say, what's he talking about? Just one of you. Anyway. And she'd bring us in and she'd force us to, we'd sit at her knees and she'd read a chapter out of the Bible. We had to listen because if we didn't listen, she would ask us questions. And if we couldn't answer the questions, then she would uh, make us read the chapter again. Of course, we wanted to go play. We didn't care nothing about God. And, and so we would go on about our way. And I can remember, though, being raised in a Baptist church. And, and Brother LaFleur was my pastor. And I can remember going to the altar and we'd feel the power of God. And I was just a five, six-year-old boy. And I remember going to that altar and I would weep and weep and weep. And, and I would pursue. I'd just say, I love you. I love you, Lord. I love you, David. I love you, David. I love you, David. But I didn't have any power. And when I would get up, I would pursue after Saul again. And I would just go right back out into the, out into the world. But one day I grew up, and thank God for this kind church the panel was talking about. Hair down to my back, split down the middle, feathered on the side. I was good looking. And I remember walking into a walking into an apostolic church, and I felt something for the first time in all of my life. And I fell in love with Jesus. Be seated just a few more moments. I cannot tell you that I never pursued Saul again. I had my battles. I've told my church this, but something great happened though in my life. I remember I was, you know, we were heavy into drugs and I never did the needle stuff, but other kinds of drugs and mushroom tea and, and please don't go try any of that. It's horrible. Whew. Anyway. And uh, so. I, God got a hold of me and I remember I'd come home from school and I just began to devour the word of God. I didn't know what it was. I fell in love with him. I fell in love with him. I fell in love with him. And I just began to devour the word of God. And I remember a few days later, one of my friends came to the door. He knocked on the door and he took what we call, we call it, I like my glass better. down to a bottle he come knocking on the door and he had in his hand uh, what we call a Colombian Taiwan marijuana cigarette sprinkled in hash and he rubbed that thing under my nose 
And I wish I could tell you that nothing happened to my flesh. But I'm here to tell you my flesh began to quiver. And everything inside of me wanted to pursue after Saul. But I'm so thankful that God was still strong enough in me that I said, no, no, I found something else. I've got something greater. I've got something more. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. I got a long ways to go, but I'm going to quit. Somebody shout, I love Jesus. Then quit pursuing Saul. Get a hold of God. Lay that stuff down. Walk the way of righteousness. Let God use you. Go forward in the kingdom. Let his power rest upon you. Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's love him. Let's praise him. Come on. Come on. Let's praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Come on. Tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Tell him you love him. Hallelujah. 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 I'm not done. I'm done. I'm not. I'm not going to pursue Saul. I'm not going to pursue Saul. I'm done chasing the flesh. I'm done going after the things of this world. I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. Come on, that's it. Love him. Get all of this you can. Come on, you're about to go back out in the world. You're about to go back to your job. You're about to go back to your family. Fall in love with David. Fall in love with the anointing. Fall in love with the goodness of God. Fall in love with the power of God. Fall in love with the gifts of the Spirit. Fall in love with the fruit of the Spirit. Come on, that's it. Come on. Come on. Lay aside that weight. Lay aside that sin. Come on, no more. No more. No more. No more. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Come on, everybody in the building. Come on, get your eyes on David. Get your eyes on the anointing. Get your eyes on Jesus. I'm done with you, Saul. I'm done with you. I'm not going to die on the Mount of Gilboa. I'm not going to die with my father. I got a covenant with the king. I got a covenant with the king. I got a covenant with the king. I'm going to reign with him. I'm going to reign with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody shout, I love you, Jesus. Shall I love you, Jesus? Come on, let the devil hear it. Let that weight that weighs you down, let it hear it. Let that sin that besets you, come on, let it hear it. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. 
up your hands. Lift your voice higher than your hands. Thank God for the direction he's given us. Lift up the name of the Lord. Aren't you grateful for wins? Thank God for every part of this meeting. Obviously, the Myers family and this great church, this wonderful worship team, all of these songs don't just put themselves together. They're done with excellence and with anointing, and we're so grateful. And there has been a tapestry of the Spirit woven in this meeting. Messages have dovetailed together, and the move of God has been rich and powerful. And you can sense that the Lord is taking us somewhere. God doesn't tease His people. He's not just dangling a carrot out there. He's directing us in the Spirit. I'm so very grateful. Would you begin to make your way back to your place? And as you get there, would you just make that a place of consecration and expectation? And would you one more time clap your hands? All ye people. (laughs) Clapping is our North American form of entertainment appreciation. That's why there's a second half to that verse. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice, with your voice, with a voice of triumph. I worship you, God. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, God. I love you, Jesus. Thank you to Pastor Daniel Kyle for ministering the word and bringing us to this point. So grateful. A generation ago, they walked among us. Men like Billy Cole and Steve Willoughby and Benny DeMerchant and a host of others. We are forever impacted and forever grateful for their voices. But I must tell you, if you're young, that their voices were so challenging and sometimes so out of the box of normal Pentecostal church that in their generation, sometimes they were misunderstood, maligned, criticized. Sometimes the reports they sent back blew the minds of people and boggled their imagination. And so there were certain contingents, even in the apostolic church, that doubted what God was doing. But the record is clear. God did amazing things in that generation. And we have built on their legacy and stood on their shoulders. And I am so grateful that God has not left us without a witness in this generation. And if we will not compete with each other and criticize each other, if 
we will work in unity as we've heard so clearly in this conference. And if we will thank God for the anointings and the ministries and the giftings and the fivefold leadership God is raising up in this generation. My goodness, surely in standing on the shoulders of all those great elders that we now revere and we call them apostles and prophets and pioneers. Surely in this generation, we can get excited about what God is doing through the ministries of all of his servants. And I bring to this pulpit today such a man in the person of Brother Charles Robinette, used mightily by God, not only in North America, but around the world. He's kind of like God's guided missile. God just sends him in and it blows up. And I thank God for his voice. I've stood with him in church meetings at our church at home, different conference platforms. I've been with him in the powerful work that he led for so many years in Vienna, Austria, and the German-speaking nations. He's been used by God not only to take teams into fields and have great, powerful crusades where thousands receive the Holy Ghost, but he has a heart to mentor younger leaders. And he spends his waking moments every week thinking of ways to get the word into people. See, the fivefold ministry isn't about the people that we point them out and we say, well, that's an evangelist or that's a prophet or that's an apostle. The fivefold ministry is about all of you. The fivefold ministry motivates the body to be what God wants us to be in this generation. And so I'm very grateful and very thankful that Brother Robinette is in this meeting. They sat me beside him. That's a real odd couple. I'm kind of quiet. I'm a teacher and he's just never stopped. God is doing through him. And today he's going to minister the word of God. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt he has a word from God for this meeting. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is going to use him to speak to us. One more time as we prepare for this last message of this day session. Would you lift up your hands and your voice? Would you open your heart with expectation? Would you open your heart with worship? Would you open your heart with submission? Would you open your heart with readiness and anticipation as the man of God comes to preach to us? If you would just add your voice to everything you're doing, spin the volume dial on your praise right now. Spin the volume dial on your prayer right now and prepare your heart for what God continues to say in this meeting. Come on and lift up your voice as loud as you can. Every militant apostolic warrior, lift up your voice. Begin to pray in the Holy Ghost with a great shout. Come on, come on, come on. Let your voice loose 
Come on, let a militant apostolic shout. I love my pastor. You may not know this, but Brother Woodward is my pastor. I love my pastor. Thankful for apostolic voices. Apostolic people need apostolic voices. If you're so apostolic that you don't need a pastor, you're not apostolic at all. You are a dull, useless stick in the hand of the Lord, maybe not even in his hand, in the hand of somebody else, if you don't have a pastor. And I can tell if you have a pastor, if somebody can tell you no and you don't get mad and find another church. I can tell when somebody has a pastor because when the pastor puts them in check, they don't find somebody else to vomit their disappointment on, but they lift their hands in the air and they begin to celebrate the no in their life that keeps them from self-destructing in the kingdom of God. get many yeses from my pastor because I don't need yeses I need somebody to say no and guess what if you're going to be mightily used of God in these last days you're going to need somebody to be the check somebody to say no somebody to say that's too far you've said too much you've done too much take a break you need somebody that looks over your calendar and says i don't see a vacation this is going to be so crazy for you Just a few weeks ago, I sent my 2023 schedule to my pastor. And I said, Pastor, if there's anything you don't want me to do, say no. I'm 48 years old. I've been to almost 100 nations. I've been to Angola. Brother Myers hasn't been to Angola. I'm so thankful that I came to church late today and missed the panel. Because I don't know what I'm not supposed to do, what I'm not supposed to say, and I know that my pastor will fix it later. So 
I feel so safe up here. And I'm even more excited that I know the clock is broke. And that Texas is keeping time. Come on, Texas. I thank God for my pastor. Do you thank God for your pastor? I rebuke every spirit of rebellion. I rebuke every spirit of resistance. I rebuke every spirit that would rise up against the man of God in your life. I, I rebuke that spirit of Saul. I, I rebuke that spirit that would cause you to get sideways in the greatest hour of the church. Get yourself a pastor and be loyal. I think this is such an amazing time in the kingdom. And I'm going to preach a little differently today because these are different times. And it seems to me that woven into the tapestry of this great meeting is all of these amazing colors and, and just uh, ingredients and these intentional words intentional deliberate kingdom words that are so critical for this army that is going to do things that no other generation has ever done before and the things that have been spoken to us about holiness and purity weaving it and it being woven into the tapestry of the call of God that's upon our lives It's like God is building an army. It's almost like he is putting together millions of people that are going to be apostolic in word and in deed. It's like God is seeding our spirit with, with just apostolic words that are going to bear much fruit from the north to the east to the south and to the west. It's, it's, almost, it's almost as if God expects us to see billions added to the church last night as you passionately sought the Lord and forgive me I want to say thank you I love brother and sister Myers some of my dearest dearest friends in all the world and I honor them and I, I say very 
just deliberately that you don't show up to a conference and because it's a conference there's a move of the Holy Ghost you you are receiving and recipients of a mighty moving of the spirit because of what's in this place and what this place represents and what the leaders in this place represents you are you are feeling that residue that anointing of this place I honor my friends. I thank God for them. They won't travel with me to Bangladesh anymore. They just said no. And I knew why. But I love my friends. I'd go anywhere in the world with you except Angola. Because I'm going to have that. Last night as you passionately sought the Lord and as you hungered and thirsted for holiness and righteousness and as you fell upon your faces weeping and surrendering yourselves unto the Lord most high the Lord spoke to me and said you tell my people that because of their response to that call to holiness and because they have sought to purify their hearts and God said because you did not resist my words and because you did not reject my servant and because you did not rejoice in iniquity but you rejoiced in truth the Lord said the soil of your hearts and spirits has been made ready to receive the seed of kingdom vision, kingdom power, and kingdom authority. And when you declare his words as you walk out of these doors, God said, I will be with you and I will cause you to multiply if you believe that, throw your hands in the air and shout. God said, I will multiply you locally and globally. God said, in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Lift up your hands one more time and just begin to shout like a triumphant army. Lift up your voice and shout like a victorious.
Come on, warriors. Come on, warriors. God said he's with you. God said he will multiply your gifting, offices, anointing. Without a doubt, these are the last days. I guess you should sit down. I don't even know how to start preaching. I probably should have come to the panel. Without a doubt, these are the very last of days and the coming of the Lord is fast upon us. You you cannot deny that the prophetic signs of the times that were mentioned in Mark chapter 13, they are manifesting all about us right now. Wars, rumors of wars. Nations rising against nations, kingdoms against kingdoms, earthquakes, famines, troubles, moral decay. Then you get to Second Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. And Paul speaks to Timothy of what the last days are going to look like. And he said, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful. Proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. None of that concerns me. None of that moves me. I feel no fear of war and rumors of war. I'm not distracted by famine and moral decay. I'm not concerned about those that are lovers of themselves and not lovers of God. None of that moves me because there is a greater indication of the coming of the Lord. And it's not the boastful, the proud, the abusive, the disobedient, the slanderous. No, the greatest indication of the coming of the Lord is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost that sweeps the globe. That is what I am distracted with. I am eaten up with the awareness of the sign of the coming of the Lord. Every time that I see multitudes added to the church, something rises up inside of me and says, Oh, he's coming soon. Greatest indication 
of the coming of the Lord is a mighty global harvest of souls where billions repent of their sins, where billions are baptized in Jesus' name, where billions are filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And if you believe that God will fill billions in these last days, I think you should get on your feet and shout like an army that believes kingdom vision. Come on. Do you believe that God can fill billions? Do you believe that God will? Cities, nations, Let me share with you some of the signs of the times that we are witnessing right now. We traveled to the Winds Conference from the nation of Bangladesh, where in the last two meetings, just two weekends, just two meetings, God filled 17,000 people with the baptism of the Holy Ghost in a Muslim and Hindu. Seventeen thousand tongue talkers in a Muslim and Hindu nation. I say the Lord is coming soon. I said the Lord is coming. Over six thousand. 900 testified of notable miracles. Blinded eyes were opened. Deaf ears were unstopped. The lame got up and walked. Tumors literally, visibly fell off of people's bodies. Pain, disease, despair, all broken by the power Six weeks before Bangladesh, we were in the nation of Brazil where we witnessed as the Lord baptized that nation with its very first day of Pentecost. Over 3,000 people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost in one service. In one service. But Brother Urshan, there was probably another 3,000 more in the other two services. But we only counted one. One hundred and thirty-two blind people received their sight in that meeting. Eighty-seven deaf people received their hearing in that meeting. Sixty-five that were paralyzed got up, restored, made whole. One young woman that could only blink, they set her down in the altar, but she ran out of the altar. (laughs) 
deliverance from demonic spirits, pain removed from bodies, team members healed, hearing aids left on altars, 700 other notable miracles. I said, Jesus is coming. Sunday night, I leave for the nation of South Africa where 78 Trinitarian pastors have already reached out and said, just come baptize us in Jesus' name. 78 churches 78 Trinitarian churches that got the revelation of the mighty God in Christ and realized. Come on, are you apostolic? I said, are you apostolic? Because if you are, there ought to be something that rises up inside of you that says, yes, that can happen here. Lift up your hands and begin to speak with other tongues. Lift up your voices and shout. Lift up your voices in faith. Lift up your voices. You ought to put your hand on someone near you and say, you're going to see that. That's why we're here. You're going to see that. That's why you came. August 21st through 28th of next year. I'll never forget Brother Elms standing on that platform when Bishop Reba Meyer came over to me and Bishop Walmer came over and they said, oh, Brother Robinette, if God can fill 3,000 in one night, then God can fill 10,000 in one night. They said, let's rent the stadium that all Benny DeMerchant had pointed at and said, one day we're going to have church in that stadium. Some elder pointed at an open field and saw a future. And now my generation gets to stand on the shoulders of heroes. Don't you dare get arrogant. Don't you dare think that you did this on your own. Don't you dare think that you are God's gift to this generation. Do not be a fool. 
Some elders sowed the seed. Some elders spoke the word. Some elder had faith for what we're seeing right now. Some elder... This is not the hour to pull back from our leaders, our elders, our roots. I'll never forget a decade ago, landing in Brazil for the very first time, and Bishop Stark driving past this stadium. Another elder. I don't even know where I am. I've got jet lag. I'm just trying to survive. Get me to the hotel. But an elder said, we'll we'll wait. We're going to drive past God's plan. We drive past this stadium. So beyond our current size, so beyond our current abilities, so beyond our current anointing, But an elder rolled down a window and pointed out the window and said, Brother Robinette, one day you're going to have a crusade in that stadium. Let me show you where we're going to be next August 21st. of authority this world is deliberately trying to pervert and destroy your relationship with your pastor this defund the police movement it has nothing to do with the police This disrespect for political offices has nothing to do with offices or parties. It has everything to do with if the enemy can get you separated or sideways from the spiritual leader that God put in your life. He will limit your ability to be in stadiums where 44,000 people hear that there is but one God. 
Somebody needs to get your hands in the air and begin to lift your voice. Come on. Don't fall prey to the deception of this world. You need apostolic voices. You need a pastor. I'm so off of my notes today. I am pushing back against the spirit of this world. The further this world gets away from authority, the closer you need to get to authority. The further that this world tries to... I'll tell you right now, you can't love Jesus if you don't love your pastor. You have a perverted relationship with Christ if you bypass the man of God that he has put in your life. And your gifting never gives you the license to move out from underneath a pastor. The office that you hold does not give you permission to bypass a pastor. I know where I, I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't be in this pulpit today if Brother Woodward wasn't my pastor. Because I would have been a shipwreck. I'd have been a disaster. Every hurt, every wind of doctrine, every wave of frustration and fear and doubt that got a hold of this ship, it had me just that close to the rocks. But because I love my pastor, I'm going to be standing in that stadium next August. Because I have a relationship with the man of God that God chose for me. I will be standing on a platform when 30,000 people are filled with the Holy Ghost in three nights. I don't know where we got this stupid idea. That's probably in the panel. As it came out of my mouth, I thought the panel probably said, don't say stupid. But it is a stupid idea that all we need is a committee of peers. You know what you get from a committee of peers? The spirit of confusion. 
you got five peers telling you five different things and the enemy says ha ha got him now here comes the spirit of delusion the spirit of confusion and you're so frustrated you don't know whether to go left right up down you just go in circles and become a disaster stupidest things I've ever heard this council of peers well I've got six people and I just take the highest vote what if you literally took the highest vote What if you took the kingdom vote that came from the kingdom man and you said, that's good enough for me. I don't need my way. I don't have to do it. My Yeah, I feel the pushback, but I'm still right. You're not going to find any scripture for a council of peers, but you will find scripture for God giving us a pastor after his own heart. Why? Because the pastor can navigate the kingdom calling, the kingdom direction. Is it okay if I just be transparent since I'm breaking all the rules? I don't know, eight years ago, pastor, nine years ago, I had an opportunity to take a great church. (laughs) Bills paid off, money in the bank. Even they'd been to Angola. property, opportunity, and I was frustrated. I was at the point where I didn't know what to do or where to go or how to do it, and I just wanted a way out. And so without a pastor, I got on a plane and flew to a city. Decided to take a church. I'm a missionary decided to take a church, sat down with the board, rewrote the bylaws. Six days before an election. A pastor said, in a broken state, hurting state, unsure of what to do, where to go, what to say. I could have, I could have ignored the voice of the Spirit. But my man of God said, you stay put and something's coming down the road. Hurt, Broken, but obedient. My family got back on a plane. 
and flew to Vienna, Austria. And three months later, the Muslim revival broke out. And in less than 12 months, 159 Muslims were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking with other tongues. And over 150 Muslims were baptized in Jesus' name because somebody that was hurt, broken, on the verge of quitting, said, I'll be obedient to the man of God. few months into the next year, the Trinitarian revival broke loose. Still hurting, still broken, but still obedient. And harvest just kept flowing. Hundreds upon hundreds of Trinitarians being baptized in Jesus' name. Hundreds upon hundreds of Trinitarians receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. Hundreds upon hundreds falling in love with holiness. Hearing the word and not resisting the word. And out of that revival, a revival broke loose in Belgium. And then another revival broke loose in Kenya. And now Sunday, out of the revival that my pastor said, you've got to go home for that. Sunday, I fly to South Africa to baptize 78 Trinitarian pastors that are the product of Pastor Tom in Switzerland that I baptized in Jesus' name, who's been teaching Bible studies. All of these victories are the product of an order from a man of God that I did not understand. But I obeyed.
Come on and stand on your feet and lift up your hands. Come on, somebody needs to cry out to God right now. Come on, you hear the voice of the Spirit beckoning you into the deep, deep places of submission and sacrifice. You can hear the call of the Spirit. Lift up your voice. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. You know what? If your pastor's in this room, you ought to go find your pastor. You ought to lay your hands upon his shoes. You ought to grab a hold of his feet. You ought to make a new commitment, a consecration, that you're going to submit yourself to the voice of the man of God. Come on, come on somebody, grab on to the feet of your pastor, grab on to the feet of your, humble yourself, submit yourself. If your pastor's not here, you ought to get in this altar, you ought to get on your face, you ought to say, God, put a love in my heart for my pastor. Come on, out of this is going to come miracles and signs and wonders. Out of this, there's going to be a revival that no man can number. Out of this... Come on, your ministry will never go deeper than your submission. Hear me, your ministry will not go any deeper than the level of your submission, the gifting, the offices that God is calling you to cannot be any deeper than submission. Come on, you're blessed in submission. You're blessed in obedience. You're blessed. You don't have to understand. It doesn't have to make sense, but you are blessed.
Come on. Your pastor doesn't have to explain it to you. Your pastor doesn't have to explain it. A yes is good enough. A no is good enough. Come on, because of the billions, I'm submitting myself. Because of the billions, I'm putting myself under apostolic authority. Because of the billions. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. Because of the billions, because of the billions, I put a man of God in my life because of the billions. I can't make a mistake now. I can't fail now. Come on, it's like last night in this place. God's trying to beckon us in the deeper waters. Come on, God's trying to beckon us in the deeper waters. Somebody needs to let us shout, come out. Somebody needs to cry out to God. Come on, no more, no more missing that moment. I submit myself.
This is what apostolic revival looks like and feels like when we are in unity and in one accord, when we work together and not at cross purposes, when we're not in competition, but we're in cooperation. What a culmination of this morning. What an impartation that has been in this room today. Would you lift up your hands and just thank the Lord for it? Thank the Lord for it. He has plowed deep in the spirit today. Thankful for Brother Kyle. and Thankful for Brother Robinette. The Lord has plowed deeply into your spirit today. Pray in the Spirit for a moment. Just pray in the Spirit for a moment. Would you um, just reach out and lay your hand on something tangible in this church, a seat, an altar rail, a piece of carpet, it doesn't matter. I'd like us to pray a blessing on this church for the investment they've made in us and still continuing. We have another great service at 7 tonight and we'll finish in the morning and it's going to be powerful. God's leading us. God's directing us. Would you just connect tangibly and physically with some little piece of something and now would you pray a spiritual blessing? That's, there's nothing magic about that. That's just a point of contact. Would you pray a blessing? Let's leave a blessing behind us. Let's leave a blessing behind us. This church has sacrificed and invested and prepared so wonderfully and so beautifully. If you're in a seat, if you've got your hand on a seat, pray for some sinner. Pray for some new believer. Pray for somebody that's going to receive the Holy Ghost this Sunday. Let's leave a, a blessing behind us. If you've got your hand on this altar, pray for outpouring in this local church. What you don't realize is that in the kingdom of God, when you're blessing somebody else, God is getting ready to bless you. When you're praying blessing on some other church, God's getting ready to loose that in your church. 
when you're praying blessing on some other ministry, some other minister, God turns that around and he blesses you. That's what you don't understand. It's not about praying, oh God, use me. It's about praying, oh God, do your will. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done right here in earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor, anything further we need? He's still praying. Thank God for you, Brother Myers. Anything further we need? Do you have any announcements? grateful for this great man of God. I feel like the Holy Ghost has just done open heart surgery on us. Amen. It's so beautiful. So thankful for these uh, great men of God, women of God, and so thankful for each and every one of you that values this enough to make the sacrifice of time and the sacrifice of schedule to be here and to be a part of it. I truly believe that God is going to honor that sacrifice and bless you, your family, your homes, and your churches beyond our wildest imaginations. You know, the Bible says that God will not be mocked, and we think of that a lot in terms of judgment. But I'm going to tell you what, God will not be mocked in that you can't do more for him than he was going to do for you. He will not allow the enemy to say they've sacrificed for you and you haven't blessed them. He's not going to be mocked in the spirit world, which means you can't ever outgive God. You can't ever outpray. You can't ever out-sacrifice. Hallelujah. It's going to come back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And I believe such an example of that is going to be tonight when we gather tonight in this service. I hope you're coming ready for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost like we have not seen in many, many days, weeks. Amen. Why don't we bow our heads and pray together? Lord, we're so thankful for your presence. Thankful for the body of Christ. Thank you for brothers and sisters that you have linked us together with. What a privilege it is to serve you with each and every one of these that you have put in our lives. Thank you for men and women of God that will proclaim the gospel without fear or favor. We ask you now, Lord, as you have opened up our hearts and minds to your presence, your spirit, and your will, that now, Lord, you would allow us to get some rest this afternoon and be here tonight. Believe in, Lord, coming with a spirit of anticipation that you're going to open up the windows of heaven and break loose the fountains of deep. We will come, Lord, with anticipation and expectation. Believe in God that all things are possible. Hallelujah. 
Let the wind of your power, the wind of your word and your spirit, let it blow in this place and spill over into the streets and into the neighborhoods. In the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you tonight.